0: I do want to encourage you to join us this afternoon for "This Is Us." Uh, it's going to be a fun time. This is the first time we're doing this gathering, uh, and it'll be an ongoing part of our church. But if you're if you've been a member or been a part of our church uh, for any amount of time, uh, we would like to welcome you and be a, be a part of that today. Well, we are at the end of a series called "Unstuck." Unstuck. We've been in this series for a few weeks now, and today is part three. Of one of the segments of that that series, we've been talking about how God's the power of God's word to to get us unstuck in our lives. We've all been stuck in different ways at different times in our lives. Whether it's actually physically being stuck somewhere, right? You maybe a car broke down, or or you missed a flight, right? Reading the stories on the uh, online right now in the news about people who are stranded in airports because airport, airlines are closing down and. Storms affecting, right? You get stuck. But really there's more the, the idea that we get stuck in, in our lives emotionally. We get stuck spiritually. We get stuck relationally. We get stuck financially. And every one of us at some point has been stuck. Stuck defined as this. To be unable to progress with a task or find the answer or solution to, some, to something. Our kids are back in school and... Um, Grace was working on homework the other night and and uh, it's I wish I could help her, but she's so advanced in so many of her classes, I'm looking like at her math going, I got, I got nothing, right? And so if you get stuck, I'm not going to be able to help you out. Uh, it's kind of a humbling experience as your kids get to, to, to that point. Um, you get stuck in a homework assignment and you don't know the answer, you're unable to progress and move forward. Uh, another way to, to define it is this, to be or become fixed or jammed in one place as a result of an obstruction. Not being able to move forward in your life because there's something that gets in the way. Even this morning, the word that Lynn had shared was in regards to shame and guilt. And I think for all of us, at some point, we've been stuck in our shame and stuck in our guilt. I can't get beyond where I'm at because I can't keep thinking about what I've done. And it becomes a hindrance in us from moving forward. And so we've been talking about the fact that God has not intended for us to live stuck lives. Being stuck is not in alignment with the heart of God and with the Word of God. And because of that, I firmly believe, because of God's Word, that He gives us everything we need to become unstuck. That when we get to those places where we can't move forward, that God always, 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 always has a solution. He has an answer. He has a way for us to be able to move forward. And so we've looked at a few of those different areas. We, we talked the, the first Sunday about the fact that we have to be anchored to Jesus. If your life is not anchored to Christ, and if Christ is not the central person, figure, uh, deity in your life, you will perpetually be stuck. If Jesus is not at the center of who you are, in fact, ask this question, what place does Jesus occupy in your life? Is He just a good teacher, a nice guy, had some ideas, some good stories written about Him? Or is He your all in all? Is He your everything? We talked about the power of prayer, praying breakthrough prayer in our lives, and the fact that we're supposed to pray out loud. Jesus, when His disciples asked Him to teach Um, teach teach them to pray. He said, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. And that words need to proceed out of our mouths. And we've talked a lot about the power of words, that our words have the power to build up and destroy, to bless and to curse. And so our words are important. And then we moved into talking about the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. And so we've spent a couple of weeks on that. um, And we're going to conclude Uh, this series uh, talking about the final point of application when it comes to the Word of God in our lives. is in Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, where we find Jesus in the desert. It's right after the, the account of Him being baptized by John the Baptist. He comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on Him as a dove, and He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the voice of the Father declares, This is My Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is led into the desert for 40 days, and it says this, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to come to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's worth noting again, I don't think I can preach on this passage or mention this passage without saying this. Satan will never tempt you at a point that, you're not, that you don't have an appetite for. Jesus was hungry, so he tempts him with bread. And by the way, could God have turned the stone into bread? Absolutely. He could have made bread just appear out of thin air. But the fact is is that Satan will tempt and call into question the promises and the truth claims about who God is right on the heels of God saying, this is my son. Satan says to him, if you are the son of God and then appeals to the appetite that he has. We are supposed to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. That means that there's nothing in this word that does not apply to my life. We've been talking about the Logos and the Rhema, and we talked about Kronos and Kairos. I'm going to put those words up there. Kronos is this, and speaking of time, Kronos is chronological time. Time as we know it. I have a, a calendar on my computer and on my phone, and it's chronological, right? We're, we're in this day. It's 27th today? 27th? Yeah. The 27th of August, 2017. And tomorrow will be the 28th. And we're moving towards September. That's chronos time. Kairos time, though, are appointed times from the Lord. They're divine moments. Jesus dying on the cross was a kairos moment. It's outside of our chronological time. God had intended all throughout eternity that at that moment that man would be saved. He God knows what he's doing and he's outside of our chronological time. And so there's these kairos moments that not only existed in the Bible, but even today, that God is beyond our scope of time. Along with that, we have the logos and the rhema, the logos being the word that is given to us. This is the logos. It's the written word of God. But when Jesus says that man will live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, what he's saying is that there's a rhema word, a timely word that will come in a kairos moment, most likely when you're stuck. It'll come other times as well, but in those moments where we find ourselves stuck, a good thing to do is say, okay, God, what are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me from your word? What is it that, that, that's transpiring here? Jesus, where are you in the midst of the storm that I'm, I'm in the middle of? And start looking for and having a perspective for eternity because even though we live in a temporal space, in a temporal body that, that we live in this chronological state, we really are designed for eternity. That we are eternal beings and we just happen to be occupying this space in this time. And so we have to look for that rhema word. God, how is it that you can speak to me in this moment today? I've mentioned before, it never ceases to amaze me that I will get up and do my devotions and that the words I read are exactly what I need to hear. How many of you have ever experienced that? Right? It's a daily occurrence. Why is that possible? Because the Spirit of God knows on a particular day, at a particular time, exactly what it is you need to hear. That's the rhema word of God. And that's what sets this book apart from every other book ever written. Doesn't matter what. If you, maybe you're an Anne of Green Gables fan. You love Anne of Green Gables, right? Maybe maybe you actually one of those people who reads the Star Wars novels. I don't know if they actually, anyone really does that. Anyone read Star Wars novels, right? Right on. A handful, or maybe even Star Trek. Any Star, right? You you read the book, right? Or you got your classics, classic literature. Anything written by Shakespeare, right? Does not hold a candle. Why? Because it's not rhema. It's not spirit-breathed. And so every time I read the Word of God, it's fresh, it's new, and it's life to me. So we've talked about two, two important things already, and we're going to finish with the third. What I want to do by way of just kind of getting us up to speed picture an on-ramp onto the freeway, uh, I'm going to touch on the first two points that I covered last week, just very briefly, so we can get up to speed for the Third one. The first thing we talked about is that we need to know the Word. We need to know the Word of God. It needs to, to, to permeate our thinking, our minds. It needs to get into our brains. Use the word information to describe this. We, we need the information of the Word. If I don't read the words on this page and get them into my head, they can't move on to the next stage that we'll talk about in a second. Mark 12 24 when addressing the Sadducees who were trying to trap him and confuse him. So he's addressing the people who probably knew the written word, the Logos, more than anyone else. He says to them, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? You see, because knowing the word of God, just knowing the words isn't enough. But we do need to start there. We absolutely have to start there. I'm looking around and I'm seeing a lot of college students visiting with us this morning. It's great to have you all. Uh, You guys are just setting out on an adventure where you are going to do a lot of knowing the Word of God. There's going to be a download of information starting next week, right? And you're going to go, we want to be like the Far Side comic. You ever seen the one with the kid with the small head and he raises his hand and he says, can I be excused? My brain is full. You're going to feel that way. Like, whew, this is a lot. We need to know the Scriptures. We need to know the Word of God. But we also need to know the power of God. I asked this question last week. Could it be that you and I get stuck because we really don't know the Scriptures? And that we don't really know the power of God? We'll leave that just kind of hanging out there. The second was this, that we need to believe. We need to know, and then we need to believe. It needs to go from our head to our heart, where it becomes transformational, where it changes us. We talked about Romans 12, that we need to be transformed, and that that, that our thinking, and not only just our thinking, but, but the way that, and of course, when we talk about our heart, we're not talking about our physical heart. We're talking about our soul. We're talking about the way that we make decisions, the things that are our passions, our appetites. The things that drive us in life, our identity, that that needs to be transformed and how even by the Word of God that our brains, our physical brains, our synapses, our our processes and thinking literally get changed by the Word of God. See, when God's Word settles in our hearts and we believe His truths and promises, our faith increases. It can't not. If we stop at knowing, knowing's great, but it doesn't build our faith. It's the believing aspect that allows our faith to grow. John 15, 7, Jesus says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now I want to pause there again and we'll jump into the third point. Ask whatever you wish and it might be done for you. No. And it will be done for you. I don't know about you, but I read that passage and it bothers me. Because I don't live it. Because there's a whole lot of things in my life that I know I'm not asking for. It was a few months ago, I was standing here on the front row during worship. And I am, sometimes as a pastor, you're... you're Thinking, you're, you're seeing the things happening in the room, or you're noticing that that curtain is a little crooked, or right. And it just any pastors in the room, you're like, you like you can attest to that. And I was actually agonizing a little bit over uh, needing some leaders in some key areas. And I was thinking, Lord, who am I going to do? Who am I gonna, who going to ask? Who's going to who's going to step forward? And the Holy Spirit just impressed on me, Why aren't you asking me? Why aren't you asking me? Why are you trying to figure this out yourself? If you would just stop and ask me. That when we hide God's word in our heart, when we remain in him, and our lives become so aligned with the, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he says you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Can I tell you, church, this is a promise from the heart of God to you. Could it be that we're stuck because we don't ask? Maybe we don't ask because we don't really believe. We have to move beyond this place where we think, well, I, I have to perform better, and I have to do more, and God has to be a little bit more pleased with me before He will answer my prayer. He just says this, if my words remain in you. So I just have to get this in here. And the more I do that, the more my faith is built, and the more confidence I have to come and ask God for whatever it is. Everyone say, whatever. 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 That covers a lot of things, doesn't it? If we would just come and ask. So this morning, the final point is this, that after we go from information to transformation, it has to become incarnation, which means this, it has to be lived out in my life. I use the word declare. I love this word. I'm not just saying something. I can say stuff all day long. I usually do. I'm a, I'm a talker. I say a lot of things throughout the, the course of a day. But when you declare something, there is a, it's an emphatic declaration, right? I know this. I know the Giants are going to the Super Bowl. Okay, maybe that's not a good example. Um, it's more of a hope, anything. No, I'm just kidding. That there's a declaration, something that I'm confident of. Why? Because there's a faith tied to it and I can make a declaration and our lives are supposed to declare what's in our hearts and what's in our minds. And that's going to happen in two ways. It's going to come out of my mouth, and it's going to be expressed with my life. There's a a famous quote, St. Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. What he's not saying is don't use words. Right? What he's saying is your life better back up whatever you're saying with your mouth. Your life better back it up because as we'll hear today, actually opening your mouth is a very important part of God's plan for us to get unstuck. It's a very important component of us moving from where places of stuckness into places of freedom that there actually has to be things that we declared. Jesus said to Satan, "It is written," and then he quoted scripture out loud. Because there's power in the words that we speak. So I'd like to this morning try and kind of tie it all together and leave us this morning with a kind of a comprehensive thought when it comes to being unstuck. Romans 10 verse 8 through 9, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. By the way, this is the only way to be saved. It's the only way to be saved. To declare, to speak it with your mouth, right? That Jesus is Lord. And to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You see the connection here between the heart and the mouth? And all through Scripture, it's not the only place, all throughout Scripture, over and over again, New Testament and Old Testament alike, that the, the, the Scripture talks about that our heart and our mouth are attached. There's psalms after psalm after psalm. There's proverb after proverb after proverb. It talks about the fact that what's in our hearts will be reflected in the words that we say. And so we need to make sure that God's Word is in our hearts. Romans 10, 17, Paul goes on to say this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. And so when people characterize the church community as a people of faith or a faith community, oh, you're one of those faith people, what they don't know that they're saying is that you're filled with the Word of God because it's the Word of God as you hear it and you receive it that builds your faith. Going to church does not make you a person of faith. It doesn't. Going to church does not make you a person of faith. Hearing the Word of God causes you to be a person of faith and receiving the Word of God. And by the way, if the only place you're receiving the Word is on Sunday mornings you're going to be stuck because it's not enough. It's just not enough. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And here's the thing about faith. Faith becomes the testimony of your life. We talk about people of great faith. In the book of Hebrews, there's, there's a, 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 a list Of all of those, those who were great faith in the Old Testament, those who had gone before, who had walked in faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He had great faith. Our faith becomes the testimony of our lives. It speaks about what God has done for, in, and through my life. And here's the great thing about faith. When you start speaking to me about what God's done in your life and you get excited about journey of faith, it gets me excited and it builds my faith. It's kind of contagious. You experienced that? But if I don't open my mouth and share with you the testimonies of what God's doing in my life, how is your faith going to be built out of, from the words coming out of my mouth that aren't my words, they're God's word. Why? Because they're hidden in my heart. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm excited to get to the end of this message. Not to finish, but there's some cool things coming up. Listen to how it's said in Revelation 12, 10 through 11. Then I heard a loud voice. In heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah, Jesus Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. By the way, we win. Right? They triumphed over Him by two things. The blood of the Lamb... And the word of their testimony, say word of their testimony. Say word of my testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. By the way, the people we're talking about here, many of them were martyred. They didn't live comfortable, easy lives. They lived audacious, ridiculous, faithful lives that even led some of them to die for their faith. And they died singing the praises of God. Why? Because, man, when God is meeting you in these kinds of ways, His Word is in your heart. His Word is in your mind. Your, His Word is in your mouth. Your faith is growing. You're not stuck. You're forcefully advancing, as the Bible says. You're forcefully advancing. you overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We have to be anchored to Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. But then the word of our testimony, your testimony is powerful. The stories of what God has done in your life, as you open your mouth and you share out loud, here is what God has done for me. It will cause not just you to overcome, but other people will be swept up in what they hear. Here at Thrive Church, we, we actually, in the back of the connect card, you'll see there it says Thrive Stories. Thrive Stories. We encourage all of you, as God does anything in your life, that you think, you, I need to share this. The reason that's there is because we want to hear those stories, because we, we want to be able to have our faith built, and we want to celebrate with you and what God is doing, because as a church community, as a body, those stories, those testimonies cause us to rise up as a church. I love that at Angelus Temple downtown, Echo Park, by the way, if you come to This Is Us this afternoon, you'll hear a little bit more about our, the Foursquare Church and our history as a denomination. Um, and and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. There's a, a great video that was produced that, that we'll get to see. But when Amy Stemple McPherson started Angela's Temple, it was, a, it was a tent revival meeting. She was an evangelist, and she ended up in L.A., and it was such an outpouring of faith and the Spirit of God in this city. That amazing things were happening and this incredible church building was built back in the 1920s called Angelus Temple. And literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people came every week. And you can go down to the Heritage Center. Let me know if you'd like to do that sometime. I'd love to go down there with you. And you can see the back braces and the leg braces and other medical things that, that are still there today of people who came into that place and were prayed for and walked out completely restored. There's stories about how ambulances on their way to Queen of of Angel's Hospital, which is now the Dream Center, would stop on the way to the hospital at Angelus Temple and have people prayed for and they'd never make it to the hospital. Why? Because where there's a testimony of the power of God and of faith, people are drawn. When Jesus says, lift me up, What he's saying is when you lift me who is the word and the power of what I can do, I'll do the work of drawing people. And so that's why God's word needs to be evident in our lives. So we need to know the word. We need to believe the word. And really the living part is a test. It's the test. It's living out in speech and deed what you believe in your heart and mind. And so the test is this. If you're not seeing it lived out in your life and in your speech, you have to go back to do I know it and do I believe it. Because if I don't know it and I don't believe it, I won't live it. But if I know it and I believe it, it will be lived out in my life. And you can't fake it. Amen? You can't fake it. It's not... It's not something that can be contrived. It has to pour out of us. It's the evidence of how much we know and believe the Word of God in our lives. You have a default setting. My, my phone has a default setting. I, I've had times where my phone would have issues back before I had an iPhone. No, I'm just kidding. I've had issues with that as well right? And and what do I do? I restore my phone to factory settings. I'll plug it in or do the reset or do a hard reset. And the idea is this, get it back to the default setting so I can kind of start over. You have a default setting, but it's not a good thing. It's your sin nature. There's this default setting. You're born into sin. You're born into this world. And, And there's a way you do things and it's not honoring to the Lord. And the problem is, is that when we do not hide God's Word in our heart and it doesn't permeate our being, we rely on our default setting. We rely on our sin nature. And it starts becoming a problem, or it's always a problem, in that it reflects who we are and not who God's called us to be. Those moments where we allow our default setting to be the thing that comes to the forefront. See, my mouth has got me into more trouble than I can even relate to you because I am a talker and quite often the words come out of my mouth before my brains had a chance to catch up. How many of you honestly have been at that place where the words are starting to come out and you know you just need to shut your mouth, <laughs> right? And my problem is, because I'm, like, my emotion, and I just kind of wear it right here, with Megan, and, you know, after 20 years of marriage, now I don't even have to say the words. My face says everything for me. And I'm just like, just don't, don't oh. Why? Because because my default setting is to say what is just, bleh, in that moment. And it's gotten me into more trouble. I need someone walking or around with me at all times going, giving me my Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you could say, anything you say can be used against you. I need that. I need that because my mouth gets me in trouble. I, I remember the movie Groundhog Day. You remember that movie, Bill Murray, right? living that same day over and over and over and over again, there's moments in my life where I'm like, I've been here before, right? I've been in this awkward place. I, I've had this this yuck feeling before. And it's usually because my mouth gets me in trouble. And I go, oh, don't ever say that again. And next, some, next time something happens and I get offended and blah, something comes out of my mouth and I'm right back where I didn't want to be before. And it's those moments where my sin nature wins out. Why? Why does that happen? I'll give you the answer. Because I'm starving. I'm starving. Amos eight, eleven, and 12 says this, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, But a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And I think part of that is because we're looking in all the wrong places. I'm starving. There's places in my life that need to be saturated and refreshed with the word of God. And when I, when I withhold from my spirit, when I withhold from my heart, when I withhold from my mind the word of God, I start starving spiritually and then the words that come out of my mouth do not honor God or bless people. And I dig a hole for myself. I'll just talk about me. You can fill your, your name in there if you want. I imagine that most of us in this room deal with the same issue. And we get stuck. So let's turn our attention to Jesus then. Because he gives us the answer. He gives us the answer to what we need. Mark chapter 4, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to read a fairly long portion of Scripture, but it's important for us to get this entire picture of what Jesus is communicating to us through His Word. Mark, Mark chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 10, uh, one through 20. rather. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around Him was so large that He got into a boat and sat out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, which, by the way, um, they didn't have technology in those days like we did, but water is a natural amplifier, and Jesus knew this. And so he backs out from the water, uh, back from the, the shoreline, and so that he can reach more people with the Word. I think that's kind of cool. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen. I like that. If Jesus says listen, it's probably, probably a good idea to... Listen, in fact, there's an exclamation mark there too. So it's like, it's right, he's declaring, listen, what I'm about to say is really important. A farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Let me stop there for a second. He's not talking about these things right here. What he's talking about is the spiritual sensitivity to hear the Word of God. Are you tuned in to what I'm saying? Are you listening to the words that I'm about to speak to you, allowing them to permeate every part of who you are? When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Something was hidden and now it's not hidden anymore. I've revealed the secret. You ever like known that there's a secret and you want to know what it is? Right? Anyone? Hello? Christmas? You're like, hey, I'm getting something for Christmas. Okay, a few of you. Right? Secrets kind of appeal to us. I wonder, what's the secret? Jesus says, I've given you the answer. The secret has been revealed to you, but those on the outside, uh, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parable, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, never and ever hearing, but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven there 's a whole lot going on there we won 't jump into that today. Then Jesus said to them don 't you understand this parable? how then?" Uh, will you understand any parable? I'm going to pause at a couple of points just so we don't have to go all the way back through. I I, I consider this to be probably the most important parable that Jesus shared. Because he says here, if you don't get this one, you won't get anything that I say. So it's important for us 2,000 years ago to pay attention. Because Jesus is saying here that, "I'm I'm going to reveal something to you in this moment And what you understand from about what I'm about to tell you will be the key that unlocks everything else you need to know about who I am and about my Father's kingdom. He goes on to say in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. The seed is the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceit, deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord to us. We're so familiar with this parable and I think one of the problems in the church I knew from me growing up, I always thought about this as the message of salvation, that it was just this one-time thing that people would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and that's what Jesus was talking about. But see, I didn't know the scriptures or the power of God. See, because if you're a farmer, how many seeds do you sow? Thousands. Thousands of, Really, the question is, how big of a harvest do you want? And so you're going to sow seed in accordance with, or according to what you want the harvest to be. So you want a large harvest? Sow a lot of seed. You want a small harvest? Sow a little bit of seed. Don't want any harvest? Eat the seed. <laughs> right? Waste it. That the seed, the Word of God, is something that God is daily imparting to us. Why? Because it is Rama. It is active. It is alive. It is spirit-breathed and empowered to meet us right where we are, which means that every single day of your life, whether you're awakened or sleeping, because God will speak to us in dreams, that the seed of God, the Word of God, has been sown into our lives. He's scattering seed, scattering seed, scattering seed, scattering seed. And what Jesus is saying is the condition of my life will determine how much of that seed I actually receive and what kind of harvest it produces. And so for the first three, there is no result. They don't even get to the point where it produces any kind of fruit. The first three, right? The, the, the hard soil, it's stolen right away. It doesn't even penetrate. The rocky soil, right? There's joy. Wow, this sounds great. Because of the issues in life and these boulders, this rocky ground, that, that, that the seeds can't take root and, it, and the plant doesn't grow and thrive. And for the thorny ground, the cares of this world, wealth and the pursuit of the things that would distract us, choke out and rob us of the fruitfulness that God would have. This is powerful. This is powerful for us to grasp as believers, as Christ followers, because if we don't get this, as Jesus said, then everything else about the kingdom of God will stay hidden from us. We will not encounter the fullness of everything that God has for us. What's amazing to me is this, good soil receives the the seed. The seed turns into something that's healthy, it grows, and then that plant produces fruit. And check it out, what does the fruit contain? More seed, more seed. So this isn't a one-off deal, it's not, it's not like, you know, I've tried to grow things in my backyard. And, I always end up going to Sprouts and buy my tomatoes there, no matter how hard. I've, I've gotten like eight tomatoes out of my yard, right? Because I'm not, I'm not diligent in it, honestly, because it's, the idea of it sounds better than the reality of it, and I just don't care enough, right? Now, if tomatoes were like $8 a pound, I'd probably care more. In our lives, so often, we just don't care enough. Maybe because we're comfortable, everything seems to be going okay until it's not. And then we're desperate. Good seed in good soil produces good fruit. Our key verse here at Thrive Church is John 10.10. Satan comes only to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus says, but I've come that you would have life and have life abundantly overflowing, that you would thrive. Steal, kill, and destroy. Steal the seed. If he can make sure that you never receive the word of God, he wins. He wants to steal the seed. That is his chief aim. How many of us on a Sunday morning driving to church have had the biggest arguments, don't raise your hand, with our spouses? Right? How many of us, our kids would be angels all six days of the week, and you get to Sunday morning and you're like, where did these little demons come from? (laughs) Not literally. Right? Why? Because Satan is going to do everything he can to prevent you from receiving the seed. Lord, I want to get up this morning and do my devotions, and I sit down to do my devotions, and what am I thinking about? The gas bill. That email I haven't sent. My to do list, the things that are going on around me, that person over there, and wow, wonder why, right? Why? Because Satan wants to distract us and prevent us from ever even receiving the seed in the first place. He wants to steal the seed. It's the only thing he's concerned with. Jesus' words, not mine. He wants to kill anything that's alive, anything that takes root, any promise of God that actually would take root in our lives and start growing into something mature, His chief aim is to kill it, to rob us of the very life that God would have and to destroy, to destroy what? Our fruitfulness. To come and steal the fruit that's right out there, ready to ripen. To discredit our testimony. To make us doubt who we are in Christ. To call into question who we are and who God says we are. To call into question the promises of God in our lives. And so our fruit starts withering even as it's coming to maturity because Satan does not want us to be fruitful. And one of the biggest reasons for that is he knows that the fruit of our lives contains the seed of the word of God. And when there's a testimony in my life about fruitfulness, there's a word in my mouth, there's a seed in my mouth that can be sown into other people's lives. How does the seed come to us? Well, the first and, and, and most important place is right here. But it's not the only place that every day, everywhere we're going, we go, we should be scattering seed with our lives with our testimony, with the things that we say and the things that we do. Jesus goes on to say in Luke 6, 43, 45, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man does, brings good things out of the good stored up Where? In his heart, which is where the word of God should be stored up. And an evil man brings brings evil things out of the evil things stored up in his heart. For the mouth, listen to this, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So when it comes to declaring with our lives, you can't fake it. It, It's either there or it's not. And we have to decide, are we going to do the hard work? of cultivating our lives and receiving the seed that God wants to deposit. James one twenty two. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We started in James when we started this series talking in James chapter 5. And I mentioned this passage Don't merely listen to the word. Wow, that was a good sermon. I enjoyed that. That was good. Do you feel encouraged? I feel encouraged. All right, no, let me just go live my life however I want. Wow, I read that in the word of God today, and that sounds like good advice. And 20 minutes later, I can't tell you how many arguments I've had with Megan right after I've done my devotions. Not because I want to, but because my default setting and Satan wanting to steal what God has deposited. We have to fight for this church. We have to fight for it. We have to contend for it. Don't just listen to it. Do what it says. See, because he says this, if you just listen to it, you deceive yourselves. And and we established this a few weeks ago. Who's the deceiver? Satan. Satan. So if I deceive myself, I'm doing his job for him. If I read the Word of God, if I listen to the Word of God and don't actually do something with it, he doesn't even have to come and steal it. You tracking with me? It sounds ridiculous, right? Because it is. When we deceive ourselves, Satan's like, thanks, I'll go focus on someone else. You're doing my work. For me. It's when we hear the word of God, when we know it, when we believe it, and we start living it out, that it makes all the difference. We have to do something with what, with what we've heard. I think one of the hardest things for me in looking at my life is looking back at the missed opportunities I've had. Missed opportunities, and there's some big ones, there's some small ones, there's some honking huge missed opportunities. And I've come to a place now where I don't let those things beat me up, but I let them be a reminder that I don't want to miss any more opportunities. That every single day of my life that God has ordained for me, kairos moments where His Word, where His rhema will be present in my life where I will have the opportunity to speak blessing or cursing, to build up or tear down. And I'm wanting to live my life in such a way that I don't have any more missed opportunities. That God's Word is so in my heart, so in my mind, and so evident in my life that I'm doing what it says. So that every time God sows a seed and, 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 and the Holy Spirit nudges me in a direction that I go, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do right now. It's amazing to me that this group of disciples who were just a bunch of mis- misfits, uneducated, the unqualified, went on because of the word of God in their mouths to change the world. To change the world. This is possibly the most important sermon you could hear. Not because I'm preaching it, but because of what God's word is speaking to us. Are you stuck? Are there places in your life where you feel like forward progress has stopped? Maybe not even that. Maybe you're so stuck living in the past and missed opportunities. Can I tell you today that God's word wants to bring refreshing He wants to bring revival. We were talking about this during our prayer time this morning. In the video that we saw at LPC on Friday night at Life Pacific College, it was this history of Foursquare. We'll be showing it this afternoon. And there was one scene that stood out to my son, Blake, and it said over the door, continuous revival. Continuous revival. God is calling us to be a people who are being continually revived. You revive things that are dead. I mean, think about the word revival, to take something that's not alive and bring it back to life. That, that statement that our lives, that's not talking about a crusade. It's talking about my life and your life, that we would live in a perpetual state of continuous revival because, what of, because of what God is doing in our lives. And as we do, I guarantee you that the people around you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your church, in your school will be affected, that their lives will be blessed. So let's be that church. Let's be those people. Let's allow God to move us forward by his word. Amen. Let's stand together. Invite the worship team to come forward. We just read a few minutes ago that it's that the word is near. It's in our mouth and it's in our heart, and that the only way to be saved, the only way to know the Lord, to know God as your Savior is by declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And I'd like to give an opportunity. We can bow our heads and close close our eyes, just have a, a private moment with the Lord. But if you're at a place where you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to Him, you've never asked Him to be your Lord and Savior, you've never anchored your life to Jesus Christ, we don't want to miss an opportunity this morning to give you a chance to say yes. I simply want to do this. If that's you, if, if the, the Spirit of God is stirring your heart right now and, and you're recognizing your need this morning, this is simply what I'd like you to do. I want you to, on the count of three to raise your hand and just look up at me no one's looking around I don't want to embarrass you but I do want to agree with you this morning about the decision that you're making so on the count of three one, two, three just lift your hand lift your hand nice and high so I can see it just looking around we never want to miss a Sunday never want to miss an opportunity to allow someone to say yes to Jesus Church, you have a responsibility. G.I. Joe Joe used to say, "Now, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. You know something now. Maybe you didn't know it, maybe you didn't know, and you needed a reminder, but now you have a responsibility to go and do what the Word of God is telling you to do. So, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would empower every man, woman, boy and girl in this place not just in this room but our kids as well as they're hearing the truth of your word at a young age as we're training them up in the way that they should go Lord that this church that our homes that our lives would be marked as people who know and believe and live the word of God God, I pray that you would give, a, give us a hunger and an appetite and a passion for your word that not a day would go by that we would not want to be in your word to know your heart, to hear your promises, to receive correction so that we can move from being stuck, Lord, into being catapulted into the futures and the destinies and the promises you have for us. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.